0: Ladies and gents, I've got another very special guest on the line today, Dr. Anna Kabeka. And I'm really, really excited for this one. Anna's an expert within her field. And how is everything going over in the US, my friend?
1: It is great. Thank you. It is. I'm in Dallas, Texas right now. I moved here a couple of years ago because my youngest is a barrel racer. And uh, so I've had a complete change from my 26 years in, in Georgia, but we've got horses and and we love it. Healthy, active. It's been good.
0: Amazing. I'd love to go to Texas. You said you said Dallas, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to go there and Austin as well. Anyway, Texas looks like a great state. Looks like there's a lot going on there. So I'm glad yep. you're, uh, that's, you're ad- that's awesome. I'm glad you're adapting well there. So yeah, basically if you wouldn't mind um, just kind of introducing yourself to the audience, I'd like the audience to get, you know, a quick little you know, insight into uh, into into the guests and their backgrounds. So if you wouldn't mind telling us kind of who you are and what you do, that'd be awesome, Anna.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the biggest thing is while I'm a board certified OBGYN, I trained at Emory University, which one of the best institutions, in my opinion, in the world for women's health and gynecology, and then went into solo practice um, as a National Health Service Corps scholar in Southeast Georgia in a rural community called McIntosh. And I had a second practice um, just in, in my office now is in St. Simon's Island, and um, which is below Savannah, Georgia. And I worked in, you know, I've, I recognized very quickly that my toolbox was lacked lacking, or my doctor's bag was empty. Through helping clients um, economically solve many of their issues, but also in my own journey, and I was diagnosed at 39 with um, premature ovarian failure, infertility, and then early menopause, and was told I would never be able to have another child. So I was really devastated as a fertility expert, as a women's hormone expert, to have my own my own um, you know, problems. And that literally took me on a journey around the world looking for answers. And as a result of that journey, finding out that there's, you know, like your mess becomes your message. I love that. I love that line to remember your mess becomes your message, because as a result of that and finding holistic options and traditional and integrative therapies that, um, not only did my early menopause reverse and resume normal cycles, but I naturally became pregnant with the daughter I was told I would never be able to have at age 41. So, so it's been a journey. And now I'm 56 and she's 14 and we've got horses and I'm hauling horses around on the weekends. And it's been quite, quite a journey.
0: That's incredible. I love that. Your mess becomes your message. Haven't heard that one before, but that's definitely relates to uh, my journey as well and stuff. But uh, without going too much into that, I find it really interesting in terms of like what you went through, the struggles, the trauma you went through when you said you were 39. So what were the kind of biggest challenges that you faced during that period? And what did you actually manage to do and to kind of overcome that? I know there was a lot of things you've done and change and you had to spend a lot of time and energy into you know thinking outside the box and fixing it yourself but how did you like what were the biggest challenges and how did you overcome that Anna
1: well I think one is not to lose hope when you're giving a diagnosis sometimes you're like okay that's it there's no reversing this diagnosis and we're not really taught that in in medicine we're like okay you know treat the diagnosis versus treat the underlying conditions to the diagnosis. So for me, that was that was probably the biggest thing is not to lose hope. And, and just keep looking at what will make me the healthiest version of myself. You know, even when you don't feel like being healthy, you're depressed, you're sad, you're, you know, uh, disappointed, all of those things um, that come into play. And, and work against us, especially when you're giving a diagnosis, So I always tell my clients now as a result of that is that your diagnosis is not your destiny, and your prescription is not your description, we can reverse and I've worked in, in medicine now for over 30 years and looking at how we can reverse, reverse many of the illnesses that are at play over 90%, if not more
0: hundred percent. When just, when you said that, then one of my clients uh, sprung to mind, he's now 50 years old. I've shouted him out many other times, but long story short, we reversed his diabetes. That's I've done that with two clients in quite a short space of time as well, to be honest. Um, so it just goes to show, um, what can be done right. When you actually make changes to your lifestyle and nutrition and the way you live in and everything else, right. A lot can be done.
1: Absolutely. And especially when it comes to diabetes, you know, over Uh, 95% of diabetes are type two diabetic, and that is considered a lifestyle illness. And now while we may have genes, as I do on both sides of my family, both my parents died from complications of diabetes. Mm -hmm. And I was certainly destined to be there, you know, obesity, I was well over 240 pounds at one point, my hemoglobin A1C was creeping up. So becoming more diabetic, you know, on on that cycle, and the common thought is, well, you know, we'll just wait till you're diabetic and then start giving you diabetes medicine, or, you know, it, it comes into play with my clients with polycystic ovarian syndrome or um, early menopause or menopausal issues and you know menstrual irregularities. Well, it's just going to get you know, it's just going to get worse. And that's not the case. Like you said, you can absolutely reverse it. And I think especially when it comes to diabetes and blood sugar control, because blood sugar control is one of the most important things I can do to help my patients and optimize insulin sensitivity, optimize blood sugar control. And that goes a long way to balancing our hormones, decreasing PCOS, decreasing PMS premenstrual syndrome, you know, cyclic irregularities. And of course, the improving the menopausal transition, especially when we consider menopause as a risk factor for diabetes. Mm. Who knew?
0: Mm. 100%. It makes total sense, right? Because everything's interlinked. So when it comes to menopause, right? And obviously your book, uh, Menopause, I'd like to just talk a quick quick, uh, bit on that as well. In terms of the inspiration behind that, just talk us through, I know obviously your journey and your, what you had to overcome was the inspiration for that. But talk us through a bit more the impact that that book has had. And also, um, just if you can just kind of delve a little bit deeper into the fundamentals of like hormones as well, because a lot of females listening to this, some of them are like going to a lot of them are going to be in their 30s. And, you know, obviously, they hopefully haven't experienced perimenopause and menopause at that point. But as you say, there's so many changes you can make and so much you can do and be aware of regardless to actually make sure you can you can have healthy hormones and you don't get any issues, you know, uh, going forward, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think my book, my latest book, Menu Pause, which is such a great, I I loved playing with the name Menu Pause, because I think the things that are magic, the pauses are the magic and are where we find the magic in our lives, right? Sometimes it's the pauses versus, you know, the pedal to the metal type experiences, but it's the pauses where we can really feel the magic. And so with Menopause, I wrote that book because my first two books, you know, started out in 1940, like when I started from my journey when I turned 48, so almost a decade after my early menopause diagnosis, I was starting to spiral into full-blown, you know, perimenopausal symptoms, the hot flashes, the mood swings, The night sweats, the waking up at 3 a.m., the, um, you know, certainly irregular, uh, crazy cycles, breakthrough bleeding, um, but brain fog, mood swings, memory loss, and the weight gain without doing anything different. It is real. And even though my hormones were dialed in, it takes more than hormones to fix your hormones. And I think that was the biggest lesson I learned during that time, because that's where I really incorporated a deep dive into optimizing lifestyle medicine that is designed for women in this perimenopausal state. And honestly, it works amazingly for men. Women, we, as in the time period, really, you know, from 40 through 55 through I'm 56 now. So, you know, maybe 40 through 60, there's a 20 year span where our body is in this transformation time. And it's a natural and it's natural and everyone will experience it. But suffering is optional. Um, And so recognizing how we can use food as medicine, as well as lifestyle was, was really an important part of that. And so the hormone fix came out from that journey. And I incorporate my keto green lifestyle, which is intermittent fasting, no more snacking, you know, uh, focusing on healthy, high quality proteins, fats, which women in in where we were, we've been as a society brainwashed to think fats are bad and fats are very Mm -hmm. healthy and are necessary for hormones. And that's a big piece. And um, and then co- combining in healthy plant foods as well as alkalinizers and minerals and adaptogenic herbs and, and traditional medicines that can really help ease that transition so that we breeze through menopause into what I like to consider the second spring of our lives. And so from the Hormone Fix and introducing that book, I then went to write Keto Green 16, just extending intermittent fasting to 16 hours and some other really important brain healthy neuroendocrine healthy um, tactics. And then pause came about with um, finding out from working with, you know, really over 100,000 women online communities, the most common complaints, like I'm stuck here, or, I'm stuck there. And when I look at their food diaries, or their lifestyle, you know, their activity logs, and um, that means like their daily Like, what are they doing in the day? How much Mm -hmm. are they sleeping? How much, what are they drinking? How much are they moving? You know, what are some of the stressors they have? Where's their mental focus? And as I started looking at that, there were, you know, five different pauses that I would recommend for clients to get them through a roadblock or a plateau. And um, that's where menu pause came, came about. So five different menu plans that each pause something, but plus incorporating the lifestyle tactics that are... You know, transformational.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you touched on something there, and that was uh, that was very insightful in terms of like when you look at someone's voodoo diary. And I just thought, you know, because I've coached a lot of uh, females, seventy-five percent of my clients are females on my transformation program, and a lot of them before they signed up, you know, they were struggling with you know either perimenopause or they were going through menopause, and basically they obviously gained a lot of weights. and like you said earlier on, they kind of labeled it was because of that, you know, I've gained weight because of this, because I am now, you know, getting older and they kind of accepted it. And then when we shined the light on things, we looked at what they were eating, as you say protein there's certain types of proteins and fats right which you literally die without right you get nasty if you get deficiencies in those things it can be really really nasty obviously carbohydrates we can live without right i wouldn't necessarily recommend that to everyone in terms of being able to thrive but it just goes to show that certain proteins and fats are very very important essential proteins and essential fatty acids and when we looked at that and we started changing the way they were eating and then obviously you know eating more whole foods so naturally they would eat less obviously they started losing weight and everything started changing. So with keto uh, and fasting, so those two things, let's talk about fasting first. How did you kind of, I'm just curious to know how you kind of integrate that into your uh, regime and how much benefits you've had with people in terms of having them just to have maybe bigger gaps in between meals.
1: I mean, it's exceptional. I, I say it's not just a good idea in um, perimenopause and menopause it's, mandatory. It's mandatory for our, our, life cycle. And we know that the, you know, we have to get our bodies into autophagy periodically so that we can do our own cell maintenance, we can do our own cellular repair, remove cancer cells and uh, decrease inflammation. And so that's a really big part of it. So intermittent fasting is mandatory. So that means 13 to 16, sometimes more, sometimes less, you can do one meal a day, you can do, you know, um, longer fast, shorter fast periodically. And I think that's the piece, we don't want to get stuck doing the same thing every day week after week, month after month, we need to change things up periodically. And that's where these pauses come in. And from um, so with intermittent fasting, that's been the big that was probably the biggest thing in my life to get into ketosis initially, to switch from, um, you know, a uh, glucose dependent um, physiology to being able to be a Adaptive and get keto adaptive and use ketones for fuel because what people don't realize is that and I didn't realize it till I experienced it myself that our um, muscle cell health and brain cell health is dependent on on glucose gluconeogenesis and that is an estrogen dependent phenomenon. And, and men have testosterone, which converts to estrogen, you guys. So in spades, they, they're good on that 10 times as much as women, as far as they have 10 times as much testosterone. So they're going to suffer from this, you know, much later in life, and at a lower um, significance than women will, although they will too. So so gluconeogenesis in the brain and the muscle is estrogen dependent, but it's really more like progesterone dependent when we look at it. Cause progesterone is a neurologic hormone as well. And it starts to decline in our mid thirties. So that's where we start to see the, the neurologic symptoms, the anxiety, the PMS, the mood swings, the brain fog, the, you know, uh, memory loss issues. I was trying, I almost forgot what I was going to say there. <laughs> so the memory loss issues and why it's important, um, you know, to get into ketosis, the use of ketones for fuel or glucose for fuel is not hormone dependent. So as I shift women and shifted myself into uh, ketosis on a more regular basis, the I mean the brain fog lifted, brain clarity, memory returned, visual memory, auditory memory. It was really amazing. Plus all the other benefits, menstrual cycle regularity again, and um, and. And so that's, you know, you don't hear about that, that, that is the difference that it makes shifting into more ketogenic. And I always call it keto green. My platform is keto green, making sure that we're watching our mineral load and our alkalinizers and feeding our gut microbiome healthfully, because that's where estrogen estrogen detoxification, um, you know, there's a large part of it in our gut. And so we want to make sure that we've optimized our gut health. And through this journey, through understanding that when we shift into this keto green state, that we have, you know a reduction of over ninety percent of menopausal symptoms without adding any hormone or changing any hormone regimen. So that's powerful. That's within every woman's control, and it's really a hundred percent free.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you manage that Anna right because obviously saying this is great right and on paper and you managed to do it right you turned it around and I'm sure and I've seen you've had lots of amazing uh, massive impact on lots of females all over the all over the world. But when it comes to people being, I don't like to say sugar, but people kind of being addicted to those highly processed foods, obviously being able to switch over to, you know, using fat as energy instead and, and eliminating or reju- significantly reducing processed foods and sugar, which are like engineered to make us eat more. Right. And and some people have been eating those foods for decades. Like I was, I used to struggle with binge eating before. So how do you find this Surely You see some uh, struggles and some feedback you get off people in terms of making that switch but being able to sustain that forever or at least be able to uh, not go back to all behaviors. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I think this is where mindset comes into play. And that's why it's important to have coaches, transformational coaches that get that because you have to have more so a, you know, a focus on the weight loss, right? You have to focus on your goals, what you want in your life, what your purpose driven life is, what brings a smile to your face, where's the passion, right? And so, one, a couple things that I tell clients is first thing is like, let's get that image, your best self image in your head. What does that look like, you know, 10, 20, 50 years from now? What do you, how do you want to be living, right? That's the first thing. And hold on to that vision. And, um, And it it may, you know, look different, it looks different for each person, but especially if you've been surrounded by people with diabetes and heart disease or cancer and Alzheimer's, because you're seeing the the sickness, you know, the um, deviation in the trail, and you don't want to go down that, that route. And so you don't want to focus on that either. So you want to focus on the best vision of yourself. That's first thing versus losing weight, because, you know, if you're, I I always joke, Martin, that if you if you've lost something, you go looking to get it back, right? So Mm. don't focus on weight loss, focus on your best vision of yourself. That's, that's really key. And the second thing is that when we adapt this ketogenic lifestyle, this keto green lifestyle in a healthy way, you're not hungry. And willpower is physiologic. So I don't have to rely on my willpower. Because you know, it I'm not hungry or craving anymore. And I used to go to sleep thinking about food, wake up thinking about food. Again, I was well over 240 pounds at one time, really struggled with early, you know, infertility symptoms, menopausal issues, brain fog, and Just that's not the way that's not the trajectory you want to go down. And Mm -hmm. we have the power within ourselves to make those different. So encouraging people, and also giving examples, giving real life examples, and taking baby steps like you don't have to do everything at once. So taking the next right step. So what can that be for you? So for really in menopause, I was like six day plan in six days. It takes six days because there's two rounds of gut mucosal re So what that means is your intestinal lining, the mucous membranes of your gut, regenerate every 72 hours. You've got essentially uh, a new resurface lining. So six days is two 72 hour cycles. So in in six days, you've done some detoxing, you've done some repair work, and you're feeling so much better, so that gives you a, a you know, a wink essentially, a snapshot of what's possible. If I can do that in six days, oh my gosh, what's it going to be like in six months, six years? And knowing that I don't have to deprive myself from things I really love for the long term, that's powerful. And again becoming clear when we have cleaned up our gut, when we have improved our energy, we have this level of clarity so that when something does affect us, whether it's a food we eat, a stressful situation, we feel that right away and we can identify that and then, you know, take action steps to, um, address that.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. You explained that really, really well. And I was just going to mention on that point as well with gut health obviously how important that is. And I've just noticed I went away for two weeks and I wasn't cooking my own meals. Very rare that happens. Obviously, I was enjoying myself. And I noticed when I came back, my gut was a bit off. And I noticed that I was just, for the first time in a long time, I was actually making different decisions with food. I was like veering towards carbohydrates, which hasn't happened for a while. So with gut health and your microbiome, obviously, you know, the fact that we're more bacteria than we are human in terms of cells, right? It's very important and very complex, right? So your gut health and obviously being able to take care of that, plays a huge part in terms of your cravings. Obviously, you know, most of the serotonin is produced in the gut. So what I'm trying to say is gut health is obviously really important, right? So this is something that you really tap into with your your philosophy.
1: Yeah, you can't heal the body without healing the gut. You Mm. can't heal your hormones without healing the gut. And this is even with bioidentical hormone replacement. You know, when I have clients that have been on hormone creams or whatever, if you don't have a healthy gut, you're not absorbing those creams well. So then we've got to go a different route. Maybe it's injection. Maybe it's pellets. Maybe it's troches, sublinguals. And while we're healing the gut, and then be able to go back to creams. Um, so that are gels, and that's a really big, uh, you know, awareness piece for people. Okay, it's not that you need more. You're just not, you know, your body's not absorbing it. We, the skin is a reflection of what's going on, on the inside. So your mm-hmm. ability to absorb hormones or anything you're putting on the skin and you want to detox from, you know, exogenous hormones and endocrine disruptors. So the cleaner we eat, the better and more balanced our hormones are as well. And I would just, um, spin off on your, your, your experience with your travel and, and gut, um, you know, reset essentially. When I was just in Italy, we were talking, I was in Tuscany and Florence and, I was there with a good friend, uh, JJ Virgin, who's, uh, you know, an expert in, in, in food and health and exercise and fitness. And we were at a, a, a meeting and I'm like, JJ, you're eating dairy. I thought you, you know, didn't you? he goes, Well, this is a two dairy and my body tolerates it really well. And I'm thinking, okay, dairy is one of my food sensitivities. I stopped it over, oh my gosh, you know, over 12 years ago now for the most part. And every time I eat dairy, I get, you know, within a day, I'm three pounds heavier and more inflamed, can't take my rings off. And I'm like, oh, okay, let me just indulge. So for the next, you know, week that I was in Italy, I'm having cheese and I was really enjoying that. Of course, there was wine involved and good stuff. And let me tell you, I had pitting edema of my ankles. Like I could squeeze, and I hadn't had that since my first pregnancy. And so what that means is you squeeze your ankles and you've got swelling in your ankles, but you squeeze them and it stays with your fingerprints for a certain amount of time. And that's called pitting edema. And then in medicine, we're like, oh, well, let's just prescribe some Lasix, right? Let's prescribe a diuretic or hydrochlorothiazide. Those are the two, two of the most common medications that women get put on for um, edema or leg swelling. And so- I was like, oh my gosh, this is all dairy. And so taking a 72 hour reset, doing a cleanse, a fast, a bone (coughs) broth, shakes only, staying dairy free was just what my body needed. Then my ankles were back to normal. But even for some of us, that food sensitivity affects your cells, creates that leaky membrane, creates that inflammatory response that is all dietary, dietarily related. So being aware of that—that um, that was, you know, just a good reminder. Like, oh, it's not worth it. As good mm. as it was, it's not worth it.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I had exactly the same thing. That thats what was really irritating. My gut was the dairy mainly. I'm exactly the same. I can—it's it's just strange when, with me with dairy. I can tolerate a little bit, but if I cross the line just a tiny bit that's when I get all the symptoms. And it's like, my gut's just completely ruined. And I'm like, oh, why did I do that for? It's strange. I can tolerate a little bit, but if I cross that line by one tiny slice of cheese, for example, I'm just written off then. But um, you mentioned the keto green lifestyle. I'd like you to just elaborate a bit more on how you would explain to the audience what the keto green lifestyle is and like what it kind of consists of.
1: Yeah. And I'll explain it in like the day of a life, for instance. So with Keto Green Lifestyle, because it's alkalinizing thoughts and behaviors, and these are to address three most important hormones. We want to become more insulin sensitive. We want to manage cortisol and we want to optimize oxytocin and note that I'm an OBGYN I spent, you know, years studying the reproductive hormones, but these are the three most important hormones. These are the ruling hormones with oxytocin actually being the crowning hormone. So the day in the life incorporates managing these three hormones through lifestyle and foods. So the first thing is like I typically say, before I wake up out of bed, before I even open my eyes, I focus on what I'm grateful for, what I'm I'm blessed with, my children, my home, my friends, you know, the, the um, life I get to live, you know, everything, my head on a pillow, a blanket over me what you are grateful for. And I focus on that. I also think, where did I see love yesterday? Where did I laugh more? You know, Where could I have laughed more and where did I laugh? And so laughter, love, positivity, gratitude, all increase oxytocin. And oxytocin physiologically is the most alkalinizing hormone of our body. It's also the most anti-aging hormone of our body. And you start your day with oxytocin. That can be an orgasm. Also another good way to increase oxytocin. Um, when you start your day that way, you're more alkaline all day, you're physiologically more balanced oxytocin opposes cortisol. So you're off to the right start. And then drinking a tall glass of water. I typically do a shot of my, uh, adaptogenic formula called mighty maca plus 30 superfoods. It's a combination of organic, organic maca and some other adaptogens like turmeric, quercetin, resveratrol, grapeseed extract, cat, cat's claw, herbs, so potent anti-inflammatories. And so I, and it's very alkalinizing. So your body's been removing toxins all night. So feel, we feel really so much better when we're able to help our body eliminate those toxins. And that's not with a cup of coffee, right? You think, oh, well, that helps me with the bowel movement. Okay, that's creating a bowel spasm for the most part, but you really want to alkalinize first thing and then have your coffee or whatever. Um, and then working out, exercising and breaking your fast around and getting my daughter off to school and getting her fed and everything else. Right. And then um, breaking fast anywhere between 13 to 16 hours. So I find that women do really well when they break their fast between 10 a.m. and 12 um, in the you know morning. And so they um, should eat earlier by six or seven, finish your meals earlier in the evening So you can break fast between 10 and 12, and that works really good physiologically for your hormone curve. And that break fast can be, for example, smoked salmon with capers and onions on a bed of greens drizzled with olive oil and a slice of avocado. That's a typical keto green. There is no English muffin. There is no toast. There is no gluten-free bread. There's none of that part of it because you want to keep carbohydrates really low so your blood sugar stays stable and then you can have another meal you know four hours later or so or just go get in the habit of doing two meals a day which is mostly what i do now at this point but you work your way up to it you can also have a keto green shake you can have bone broth and a a keto green dinner would look like you know a vegetable stir fry served with a side of grass-fed steak or fish or you know Uh, venison bison you know something really good so you're getting enough protein at each meal when you eat and i want women to really work to get up to 50 grams of protein um in there you know at least at one meal a day but ideally somewhere 75 grams of protein at least per day so divide that up
0: Mm. yeah that's really really important i think it's one of the most important things that's overlooked and a lot most people do grossly under eat protein right it's one of the biggest kind of obstacles i see with people that join my program it's the first point of call a lot of times when it comes to nutrition because obviously it blunts your appetite and also when you mentioned like bison and like ruminant animals like you know obviously cows and bison you're going to get all those micronutrients as well and it's like they're one of the most nutrient dense foods you can eat right so you mentioned that about insulin right and insulin sensitivity i just wanted to touch on that obviously resistance training right strength training is obviously one of the best things you can do to actually improve that, right, and reduce yes. your risk of insulin resistance. Building muscle, right, getting your body anabolic. So, is this something you would say should be kind of a cornerstone when it comes to the way people train of, the, of their program, or at least something yes. that's fundamental?
1: Especially the older we get, you know, sometimes I get in the habit of just doing yoga, but uh, friend of mine told me, you got to earn your yoga, you got to earn your walks. And so you got to do that with muscle, you know, weight bearing exercises, lifting, Mm -hmm. you know, extending your body weight exercises, resistant training. So definitely increases your growth hormone, right? We know that like with, you know, combining in some high intensity interval training will increase growth hormone as well, which is important. And then of course, getting a good night's sleep is critically important to becoming insulin sensitive
0: hundred percent. Yeah. And that's a whole nother animal altogether. But I would like to touch on that because it is the most important thing, you know, sleep when it comes to lifestyle weight, especially weight loss. Right. Because decisions you make with food and the impact on your hormones, even after one night's poor sleep. Right. So this is obviously something that you're big on as well. Right. Making that a top priority sleep. And what advice would you give to the audience when it comes to sleep? We had an expert on recently, but obviously someone like yourself, I know this is something you focus on. What advice would you give in terms of sleep like to the average person listening to this now to pay
1: attention to? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've been a sleep hacker for a while now because <laughs> I'm a notoriously poor sleeper. You know, oh, I, always right. say I was made to be an OBGYN. I, I, you know, would get up in the middle of the night, solo practice, deliver 23 babies a month, no schedule. Right. Wow. And so, um, and, you know, so sleep has been one of those things that I've really worked on hacking and adding things into my armamentarium. Cause it's never just one thing mm-hmm. to have a good night's sleep. It starts with a good morning ritual. Yep. Right. So it really does. And then of course the, you know, avoiding blue light after certainly after sunset and, you know, using, I should be wearing my blue light blockers now. Um, yeah, I know. And, I normally wear know,
0: mine as well. I forgot them.
1: Yeah. So, you know, creating good habits like that. And then for nighttime, I, you know, I recommend melatonin in especially seasonal. In the summer, we don't need to really be supplementing so much with melatonin unless you're really off schedule, but um, magnesium L3 and 8. And now I also like You know, working with so many clients and and focusing on sleep and recognizing that it's not just about the number of hours we sleep, but the quality of that sleep is more important. And so getting regenerative, reparative sleep. So Um, so what that looks like and supplement wise, it's certainly making sure you've got enough vitamin D on board, you know, whether we're adding melatonin, magnesium L3 and eight, and now I've created another sleep formula called night Z's to really help with reparative sleep that where our bodies are repairing when we sleep. So that's a big factor. And then, um, weighted blankets, taping your mouth you know, use some, there's a product called mute that goes into your nose to open up your nasal airways. Like you got to troubleshoot why you're not getting a night, a good night's sleep using red light in the evening. So these are all different kinds of hacks that you can do to improve your sleep plus organic mattress, you know, uh, detergent free um, uh, linen, like detergent. So uh, chemical free detergent so that you're not sleeping on those as well, those chemical disruptors while you're sleeping. And, um, and looking at all the different things that are, are affecting your sleep, putting the room to completely black and 65 degrees is another really good tool that's been proven over and over again to help as well.
0: Mm, it goes to show how complex sleep is. I had an expert come on recently, you know, all the things you wheeled off there. Then even if the audience, people from the audience can extract one thing from that, And obviously implement it, you know, it's one thing at a time, right? Because it's very complex. And as you say, you need to be aware first of like, like you said, why am I not sleeping well? But I think one thing that's overlooked that you mentioned at the start is just getting daylight in the morning. It's the most important thing, right? If you if you yes. put everything together, you know, in terms of like getting that circadian rhythm firing, and obviously, you know, suppressing melatonin, getting the cortisol pump in, um, it's really really important, right? And then that regularity. Um, I know we're jumping around here, right? But I did want to ask you uh, something about the keto, right? Because a lot of people listening to this. A lot of people say to me, basically, you know, I've tried keto, I've done keto, but a lot of the times they haven't, they've just done like low carb and they haven't actually gone into ketosis with me, for example, I have like yourself, two meals a day. I have like never had more than like 50 grams of carbs in my first meal, normally under 30 grams. And then I just save my carbohydrates for the evening. I like to earn my carbs and I like to get stuff done before I have my carb hit basically because it makes, makes me a bit more relaxed and serotonin and everything. But if people were to say, right, keto, you know, where do I start with this now? Because people get a bit confused with it to be in ketosis actually is a bit more complex than just going, I'm going to just drop my carbs a bit. Right. So yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. And, yeah. and I- I think that's if you if you're not testing you're guessing. So first of all, you've yep. got to test. And I was lecturing for a conference, and it was a keto conference. And I asked the audience. There was a thousand people in the audience. And I said, "How many are you doing keto?" And of course, like over ninety percent of the room raised their hand. And then I said, "How many of you have tested for your ketones, whether it's urine, blood, breath, and less than ten percent of the room." raise their hand. And I said, then you're not doing a ketogenic diet. If you're not okay. testing, you're guessing. And this is especially true for women. We can be so metabolically damaged that it may take three days of fasting to get our body into ketosis. Well, maybe not that long, but at least 18 hours to, if not sometimes 36 hours of fasting to get your body into ketosis initially, because you're so metabolically Uh, damaged. And so this is where we have to take baby steps because you do that right off and you're going to have headaches and mood swings. So I always tell clients first, we want to really work on the alkalinizing piece. And I have clients check urine pH and ketones. I created keto pH test strips so they can just pee on one stick instead of having two separate ones when you're starting, you can definitely use urine ketones as a good barometer of how well your body's getting into ketosis. And again, it can take a while unless you're really extending that fasting interval, but don't extend a fast right away without improving your body's alkalinity through, you know, uh, low carbohydrate grains, especially the ones that help support gut microbial diversity. That's key. And also estrogen metabolism. So your cauliflower, your broccoli, your um, cabbage, your broccoli sprouts, your herbs, you know, beet greens. Go like throw away the beet greens. No, eat the beet greens and, you know, keep a sliver of the beet. But Swiss chard, kale, uh, collards, all of those things can be very beneficial to alkalize and give your body enough fiber to also balance out your blood sugar. So you're not hungry and you can space out those meals. Snacking is detrimental. I don't let my, I don't let my clients snack with rare exception. We cut out all snacking because your body needs to digest what you eat. It needs time. It needs time in between for that insulin to get nice and low. As a rule, it's at least 12 hours. So that's why nighttime fasting that, you know, 13 to 16 hours between your last meal and when you break fast is critically important. So, so that's, that piece is, is critically important and check that out urine pH so that it's great. It's seven or greater. And sometimes you need to add additional alkalinizers like lemon juice or apple cider vinegar. know, we use the mighty maca green and sometimes we'll mix lemon juice and uh, apple cider vinegar and maybe even some baking soda just initially to really support your body's um, alkalinization and mineral balance and so and digestion which is key and you want to do that in between meals not with meals because we need acid with our meals so that's when you'll want to do your digestive enzymes especially if you're not used to so much protein and fat So it can be natural digestive enzymes like pickled ginger or um, bitter melon or bitters and um, apple cider vinegar. Again, you can take a tablespoon with your meals or you can supplement with enzymes. So that's another really important piece that helps people, especially as we get older and digestive enzymes are decreasing. But as you get into this, as you really recognize, okay, what keeps you in ketosis and what bumps you out of it? I mean, that black coffee in the morning That was bumping me out of ketosis because it was increasing cortisol and increasing glucose and bumping me out of ketosis. And I didn't even recognize it till I was wearing continuous glucose monitors. Oh my gosh. Continuously. That was in 2019. I almost all year, 2019, I wore a CGM because I was writing all the recipes for my book, Keto Green 16. And I wanted to make sure everything, every recipe was completely balanced, um, balancing your blood sugar. And so I, in the morning, I I would recognize that I would wake up in ketosis and alkaline, drink a cup of coffee. It made sense that I was now, my urine pH was acidic after that, but it didn't make sense that I was no longer in ketosis until I saw with that, I think that's a big biohack where the continuous glucose monitor. And I saw that with that black double espresso that I would drink in the morning, my glucose would go up 20 to 30 points. That was enough for me and my in my physiology to bump me out of ketosis. So that's pretty impressive. And also a high intensity workout increases your gluconeogenesis, mm-hmm. right? And that's going to bump you out of ketosis. Those are good things. So we but not the coffee so much. And many people mm. find when they stop drinking coffee, they lose weight without doing anything different. And that's probably one of the reasons. It really depends on your adrenal function and your food sensitivities and, and you know, that that makes a difference. But that detective work is really important to optimizing your physiology.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I should actually uh, invest in a continuous glucose monitor myself because I'm really in tune with my body, but I do have black coffee when I'm in a, when I'm in a fasted state. So maybe that's kicking me out as well, but I'm in tune and I can feel it. Now I've done it for so long, so many years, you can actually feel the sharpness, right? Mentally, you can feel the sharpness. You feel like, wow, I've just got this sustained energy. It's like crazy how it, when it kicks in, you can normally feel it but I definitely need to track that myself. Um, We touched on a lot of stuff then when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to weight loss, right? And as you may know, you know, most people gain the weight back. So it's not actually a weight loss problem we have, right? It, believe it or not, it's actually, you know this anyway, it's actually being able to keep the weight off, right? So over 85% of people gain all the weight back they lost, right? Because actually- Making permanent changes to your behaviors and your lifestyle is actually a very hard thing to do. It doesn't matter who you are, right? To make permanent changes, not for six weeks or six months, like forever. So what would you say? Because we've touched on a lot of stuff there, which is all relative. What would you say, based on your experience, what would you say the main factors are which cause people to kind of gain all the weight back they lost and some several times in their life?
1: Yeah, I think it's sometimes it is doing the same thing all the time. And so that's why you have to change things up. And that's Mm. one of the reasons I wrote menopause, the five different plans for some people. They've, you know, and I experienced this myself eating too, you know, too few carbs. And also when you're in ketosis so much, you're not so hungry. So then that may contribute to eating less protein and that's a problem. So, and you can develop food sensitivities if you're eating the same thing. Um, re, you know, reintroducing a food sensitivity can be problematic, the natural hormone shift that we go through. So shifting from you maybe you are doing um, 13 to 16 hours, and we need to bump up to 18 hours or one meal a day twice a week or something like that. We have to change things up periodically. And sometimes we have to add carbs back. I know in my athletes or clients, You know, many of my menopausal women that have just been really strict on keto green because they felt, or keto, they felt so good on it. And then they hit a plateau and say, I think I need to add, we need to add some carbs back. So one of the plans is a carb up plan in in menopause as well to add back some healthy carbs. And that increases tryptophan, serotonin, that's supportive. The other piece is um, sabotage from those around you. It can be um, limiting beliefs from, you know, that's within our subconscious. That's a big one. And that's a big one. Big that's one. a big one. Yeah. I mean, I experienced it myself when I found out I was becoming a grandma mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, all of a sudden I'm gaining weight back. I'm like, what is going on? And well, I never knew my grandparents and my mom died after a, my daughter was a year. And so I, I think my subconscious was like, grandparent means sick and dead. <laughs> mm. So regardless, so I have to constantly re visualize myself in this like optimum, sexy, energetic, healthy grandma surrounded by grandkids and great grandkids as a healthy old age. Cause I don't, I didn't see that in my family. So I think those that subconscious, just bring it to awareness, it doesn't even mm. matter where it's coming from. I think sometimes you just have to have your goals. You have to have the, you know, visualization and feeling, feelingization. I like that word, to feel, to have a sense of what it's gonna feel like to be at your optimal health in your 60s, 70s, 80. What what event do you want to climb a mountain? Do you wanna be dancing with your great grandchildren at their wedding? Picking a goal, a visual for yourself that, you know, that's in the distant future, but also every step along the way and keep revisiting your goals is critical to maintaining that health. We've got the habits, right? We reestablish the habits, look for what's sabotaging in our, in our day with our food and our exercise, but mostly with our mindset. And that's, that's a really big one, empowering our physiology using, I use biogenical hormones in my clients, um, progesterone, I, you know, and, and pregnenolone and DHEA are, are, you know, a couple of the ones that I use most frequently because we need to balance those out as we get older. And so supporting that um, with sexual health, I created a product called Jolva for hormones. There's progesterone, pregnenolone. Your physicians can prescribe you that. Or I have my balance cream as a topical. There are ways to add back. But the biggest thing is, like I said, it takes more than hormones to fix your hormones. So it is that mindset. It is anything you can do to optimize oxytocin. What's bringing you pleasure? What's bringing you joy? Um, Let's, you know break through any roadblocks from limiting beliefs and be really clear on how we want to live out the rest of our lives yeah that's such a big one
0: hundred percent yeah and that's something i'm really big on within my within our program is goal setting and reinventing yourself on a regular basis and that's actually been shown in studies when it comes to sustainable weight loss as well very very important because otherwise you haven't got the vision and then you're basically doing things from the wrong place and you haven't got that why. We all know that why is important, but a lot of people, they overcomplicate it. A lot of the times we know what we want. We just need to be asked the right questions, right? Which is where good coaches come in and stuff like that, right? Hundred yeah, percent.
1: Sometimes <clears throat> too, it's we've reached that goal. And so that goal is done. And then we haven't set <clears throat> another goal or another next step for ourselves. And, and that's where like, well, we've already reached our goal. We've reached the weight or we've reached the milestone. And then you forget to set another goal or create another vision. Mm. And so that's why it's important to have long distance vision.
0: Definitely. Definitely. So just to kind of wrap this up, we covered a lot there and you went deep into somehow we managed to go deep into quite a lot of topics there, which is awesome. Um, I just wanted to wrap it up in terms of what you specialize in, you know, with menopause. For anyone listening to this, obviously any females, especially, what would you get them to pay attention to? Because, like I said, I, t- I took on a lot of uh, females who actually experienced the symptoms of perimenopause, for example, and they convinced themselves that obviously they, they were it was out of their control in terms of weight loss. And then when we made basic changes, like you know, moving more, eating more whole foods, increasing protein, all the the the, the basic fundamentals, it was just life changing for them, right? So, well, what would you say to Get people to pay attention to when it comes to like you know perimenopause and menopause. Any signs they should pay attention to, in particular. Yeah, I know, it, I know it's a broad question, but
1: yeah, definitely the one that triggers us most is the weight gain without doing anything different, and that's just a metabolic issue, and we can fix that. But it's the the brain fog, the mood swings. The I always tell my clients if you only hate your husband or your partner two weeks out of the month, it's your hormones and not your husband or partner per se. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So understanding how physiology affects our behavior and how important it is to use behavior to affect our physiology too. And if you're struggling like again with a diagnosis of something, PCOS, menorrhagia, you know, you know, low libido, any of the depression, anxiety, mood swings, any of these things, that there is a physiologic reason for that, that can be helped. We have to supporting like these methods, especially in my first book, The Hormone Fix, looking at, um, you know, optimizing our diet for your stage of life, number one. Number two is when to eat, you know, how often you're eating, even who you're eating with, right? That can be stressors or it can be great blessing your food before meals, and keeping a positive mindset, improving oxytocin, it's, I mean, it's huge to improve your physiology over time. So uh, it doesn't have to be everything at once, take the first next right step, and and go from there. But I think the empowering message here is that it's, you know, my clients do this, you know, really, and I, I humbly say without my help, right they do it in their own control because once they understand this is the this is how to eat for my physiology this is how to eat for my hormones this is you know like optimizing this the mindset pieces optimizing oxytocin behaviors and thoughts and is is the most powerful that brings us joy back in our life brings pr- pleasure back in our life increases the health of the relationships that we have with those around us and ourselves And that's a critically critically important piece that um, it's more than what we put in our mouth.
0: 100%. And oxytocin, I know this is a bit random, but looking into your dog's eyes, right? That releases oxytocin. It does something different to you, doesn't it? When you look into your dog's eyes, they just do something different, don't they?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We have horses and I tell you, it is just powerful. Like That is where you think equine therapy, pet therapy, absolutely increases oxytocin.
0: The God hormone, right? Is it also known as the God hormone? I, I know it's known as a few it different is. things and the commitment hormone as well, right? It goes by many names.
1: Yes, yeah. A hormone of pleasure, love, connection, and bonding. And that spiritual, that high spiritual connection.
0: Awesome. Which,
1: which to say, when you are in that state, when your urine pH is both alkaline and you're in ketosis, so the keto alkaline or keto green state, it is higher spiritual connection because you've lifted that brain fog. Brain mm. fog. And I think it's like, it's worth experimenting with, experience it, experience it for a couple of weeks and see how you feel, see how you create, see how you radiate health and magnetize healthy relationships in that state. It's a high energy.
0: I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing all of this, uh, all of these knowledge bombs and sharing your expertise. Anna, that was amazing. Where can the audience find you?
1: So easy to find me at dranna.com. So D-R-A-N-N-A.com. My books are available anywhere books are sold. So Barnes & Noble, Amazon, on my website at dranna.com. And I'm on Instagram and social media and at the at the Girlfriend Doctor, at the Girlfriend Doctor on Instagram and social.
0: Awesome. This will all be included in the show notes anyway. So thanks a lot for your time, Anna. I really appreciate that. That was awesome.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Cheers.